Welcome to Because and Effect, a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation, where we talk to people about the causes they care about and the effect that it's had on their lives. My name is Nolan Bicknell. Michael Redhead Champagne is an inspirational example of someone making a real difference at a community level. Award-winning community organizer, an Inuak helper, public speaker, author, and advocate, Michael is known by many different monikers, all under the umbrella of fighting for social justice, children's safety, and community ideals. Um, it just kind of came to me in that moment that I want to make sure that children are safe and protected in this life <laughs> and in this neighborhood and in this city. And so really from the time I was 18, not only did that, like, I want to prevent suicide stay with me, but also I want to make sure that kids can have a good life. I sat down with Michael Redhead Champagne to talk about his tireless work helping others, the seven sacred teachings, and how we can navigate and dismantle systems of oppression. Michael Redhead Champagne, award-winning community organizer, an Inuak helper, public speaker, author, and advocate. Welcome to the Because and Effect podcast. It's good to see you. It's good to see you as well. And shout out to all the listeners. Woo! Hello, hello. Well, I mean, you're, I've seen you speak and host events, I mean, maybe dozens of times in this city. Uh, I've interviewed you a couple of times and I've been wanting to have you on the podcast for a very long time. So thank you for saying yes. My first question is, you are a busy guy. I've seen you host, you know, dozens of things. What are you up to these days? Like what, what keeps you busy? What are you waking up and, and attacking these days? <laughs> well, I think uh, for me, what's been keeping me very busy lately has been a lot of the work as it pertains to writing and storytelling. And so I've been doing a lot of, I just recently launched my own website, michaelredheadchampagne.com. Longest website name ever. Apologies, it's just my name. Um, but I'm uh, expanding more on my blog. So I'm trying to be a little bit more um, long-winded in the way that I write and a little bit more instructive. And so that's been something that's really intentional for me. Um, I got some great advice from David Robertson um, recently. I don't know if it was recently, but he said, make time every day to write. Like, have it like every day. It has to be every day. So I've been really working on that. And so it's helping me a lot uh, focus on my writing and my storytelling. So that's been really important for me. Um, I have a couple uh, multimedia uh, projects that are in the works as well in terms of um, like storytelling in different formats. So that's like writing, video, audio, um, and otherwise. Um, none of them are in the actual stage that I'm able to, to speak in detail, but I want you all to know that the development is super exciting for me. And um, that's pretty exciting. Uh, the other thing I'm working on from like kind of a community side of things um, is really trying to address the fear that a lot of families in the inner city and the North End have when they need help. All right. And so that means sometimes when people feel unsafe, they need to, to call somebody to help them. And oftentimes that's the police. Sometimes children are in dangerous situations. That means people call child and family services. Um, and basically what I've been doing is working with community uh, helpers and volunteers and residents in the inner city in developing and designing uh, alternatives to those things that are kind of based in our community so that we could have helpers that are like more like a neighbor show up when you're in distress, someone who knows your name and cares about you and is like invested in the wellness of everybody around you. Um, 
so anyway, I'm working on working on that stuff as well. So writing um, the community side of things is keeping me busy. Uh, yeah. Uh, also, you know, death by Zoom. I think everyone can relate to uh, all the committees and, and groups that I'm connected to. It's like Zoom after Zoom after Zoom after Zoom, even though things are, you know, slowly uh, but surely beginning to open up because of coronavirus. I, I do. I am being very precautious myself and trying to make sure that I'm always maintaining safe social distance from folks and minimizing the dangerous corona situations that I put myself in. So like, you know, it's weird because I think it's important for everyone to be uh, aware, self-aware of what their own comfort level is. Um, but also like that's like the regular level, but then we need to have like almost an increased uh, portion of our attention dedicated to making sure that we're being kind and considerate to the people around us um, well and keeping them safe as well. So. Anyway, I can go on about the things that I'm working on for a million years, but those are some of the things. Well, that's what excites me about you and why I've wanted to talk to you for so long is because you have an infectious personality and an infectious, you know, as soon as I talk to you or hear you speak, I'm like, I got to get out there and fix the problems in the world. And where did this come from? Like, have you always had this sort of desire to solve things and get out there and fit and make the world better? Or where, when did that kind of kick in for you as a kid? Well, I think it, there's, I have two kind of main points in my life where I think it really changed for me, where I went from being a question mark to being an exclamation point. Um, and so one of those times was when I was 10 years old, um, maybe 11, I don't know, I was youngish. Um, and I was feeling, uh, I'll just say it, Indigenous young people feel it all the time, suicide. Um, and I was contemplating that at a young age, I was, you know, acknowledging kind of the reality of having to move as much as I did. Acknowledging, you know, that I was living with a, a family called the Champagnes that were um, rich in love, but poor in money. <laughs> um, I was, you know, grappling with my uh, birth family um, and my uh, disconnection from Shimadawa, my First Nation. Um, you know, the North End was a violent place even then. So... I mean, it was a tough time for me. And so I remember not feeling great and uh, having a beautiful teacher by the name of Ms. Holmes, who just retired this year, actually, after 33 years in the in the business. Shout out to Ms. Holmes. Shout out to Ms. Holmes and all the Ms. Holmeses out there. She gave me a book. She bought a book for me um, when my family couldn't afford to do so. And it arrived right on time on the day that I was going to take my own life. And it prevented me from hurting myself because... I had somebody who loved me because she bought a book out of her own money and it was the book that I wanted and the book that I circled on, you know, like, you know, kids are when they get those little book forms and, uh, and I, had, I had someone who believed in me so, and a book to read. And I think that's the formula for preventing youth suicide and something really happened when she gave me that book with a, a handwritten note in it that said, I believe in you, keep up the good work. And so I'm like, if all it takes to save a young person's life is a few kind words and paying attention to what they're good at, then I'm going to do it. And I feel like that pretty much summarizes all of my work from then on. Um, but then even when I was 18, I remember also having a moment where I was like, I just graduated from high school. I'm supposed to be going to university, question mark. <laughs> um, what do I do with my life? Um, all of my many of my peers were leaving the North End and they were saying, I got to get out of this neighborhood now that we're done, like, poof, off I go. And it didn't feel right to me. 
and I had a realization one day after taking a Winnipeg Transit bus and seeing a young family on the bus and seeing like some little child there with like her little juice box and her sparkly backpack and her adventure that she was going on and like safe adult that was taking care of her. And I was like, ding. Um, it just kind of came to me in that moment that I want to make sure that children are safe and protected in this life <laughs> and in this neighborhood and in this city. And so really from the time I was 18, not only did that, like I want to prevent suicide to stay with me, but also I want to make sure that kids can have a good life. And what that's meant has been supporting Indigenous young people and community organizing, connecting with nonprofit, labor, business, government uh, to do system-oriented uh, solutions and systemic uh, answers to the problems, um, you know? And so I'm really, I'm grateful for those moments of clarity in my life that have helped me focus on what's important. And that's uh, in, in my language in Swampy Cree, it's to say when the good life. And mm. it's when everybody is safe and loved and protected and has food and housing. And, you know, I think it speaks to, for me personally, I took for granted having someone in my corner, you know, having a coach, having a teacher I, throughout my entire life. I've had someone rooting for me. And, and saying like, you know, keep, keep up the good work. And I think people don't understand that there are thousands, if not tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of kids in Canada that don't have someone in their corner. So how important is it for you to just see someone or, or see, you know, see these children who just need someone to advocate for them and say, hey, we're with you. I'm with you. I've got your back. Like, it, it sounds so simple, but I think people don't understand that the that people are growing up without that very simple thing. How important is that to, to allow our youth to know that they are not by themselves? Well, I feel like it, I, I think you, you said it well, actually, um, in that I think a lot of folks take it for granted when it's something that's always been there. Mm -hmm. And I think for motivation, from like a motivation perspective, I feel like most people are either motivated by having something fantastic and then having it taken away or never having the fantastic thing in the first place and watching everyone around them have it. Mm. I feel like almost all motivations can be categorized into those buckets. Yeah. Well said. You mentioned sort of systems, you know, a whole plethora of things that people have to, plethora, plethora, whatever, a whole plethora. range of plethora. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's all about a full circle holistic approach to solving problems. It's not just one, it's not just education. It's not just system, you know, so how throughout your career in and your advocacy, have you evolved in knowing that, okay, now I got to go to uh, meetings talking about, you know, education. Now I got to go to meetings talking about health and mental health and spiritual health and physical health. And, you know, it, it has to be a holistic approach as opposed to just one aspect of problem solving. So how have you had to sort of widen your gaze and your approach when it comes to solving, you know, one problem, but it's actually a whole system of problems? So I have uh, two answers as usual. Um. <laughs> That's great. I love it. Two is better than one. So the first one, um, that helps me understand how to be a good helper and how to try to be well-rounded in my approach is the 
traditional knowledge that's been shared with me from First Nations knowledge keepers. And I'll talk often about simple values that are contained within things like the seven sacred teachings. Um, love, respect, humility, honesty, courage, wisdom, truth. Um, simple, right? Don't be an asshole. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. But, hey, we'll allow it. But that's, that's those teachings. That's what they tell you, right? How to, how to be good to yourself and those around you. But another foundational teaching is the medicine wheel, right? And this is like Anishinaabe from here in Treaty 1 territory in the white shell. There's the petroforms that have been there for thousands of years. Um, and the medicine wheel and the turtle teachings and the beautiful uh, knowledge there talks about our mind, our heart, our body, and our spirit. And, you know, those are often placed in the four cardinal directions, northeast, southwest. And then there's like connections and representation to the world around us, seasons, the way we grow the different parts of our mind, heart, body, spirit. And so learning about the medicine wheel taught me about the interconnectedness of all things and interconnectedness of the parts of myself and how myself is connected to those all things. So medicine wheel was, was foundational for me. And I'm, I'm super grateful to the Chickadee Richards out there, to the Grandma May Louise Campbells out there um, that sat with me in my like tears and questions and frustrations and, 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 and taught that for me. Um, but I also think the other thing that was super important, this one is way more like, that one was a like, kind of beautiful sounding. This one is a little bit more direct. Um, so the second thing is a book. It's called Building a Movement to End the New Jim Crow, an Organizing Guide. It's simple. It's like an 85 page book or something. Um, and uh, basically, what this book talks about is uh, how it's obviously focused in America, um, mm -hmm. but it's looking at how they can address the uh, overrepresentation of black people in the justice system um, and in policing. And so that's been a really guiding light for me for a number of years. Uh, the book is by Daniel Hunter. That's the author of that book. Um, and it's just really helped me because it identifies four main roles in a movement mm -hmm. all right so the four main roles in a movement and i just kind of had to translate it into my own understanding but basically he said that in any successful movement um and it's and and as i was reading i'm like this is the freaking medicine wheel mm -hmm. anyway um I, maybe he didn't know like i not a lot of people have access to this knowledge but as i was reading i'm like this sounds very medicine wheelish to me so the four uh roles that he identifies in that book are um and i think i changed the names because i just have to so i called them helpers in the first role these are basically the frontliners the people that are are right there for you getting you the uh like one-on-one -on -one, the the face-to-face -face stuff um those people are the helpers, that's a critical part. And, and like in the coronavirus, obviously these are the essential workers, right? Mm -hmm. The front line. Mm -hmm. um, but then we also have advocates and you called me an advocate as we introduced ourselves. And these are the folks who work within the systems and use their vast system expertise to assist anybody who's entangled in that system, um, help them get the things uh, from that system that they need, often simply connecting them to helpers. <laughs> um, and then there's organizers. All right, and I call myself an organizer often, um, but these are the people who work outside of the system and build an alternative. Um, gotta love organizers because they are the ones that say, don't do it that way, do it my way instead. 
Um, so love, love the org, love to the organizers out there. And then here is the least popular, but possibly the most important role of the four is the rebel. Mm. All right. This is the person who speaks truth to power. This is the person who disrupts things. All right. These are the individuals who put their, their body, their reputation um, on the line for what is right. And that is, that is so rock and roll punk rock. And, and we need, and we need those. We need everyone. We need helpers. We need advocates. We need organizers and we need rebels. And for me, what I have to be conscious of as I'm trying to navigate systems is which hat am I wearing today? Mm. And every time I go into a new speech or a new committee or a new community, um, I will ask myself, which role do I think I need to be in? Mm. And then I'll kind of enter in that way. But the number one most important thing for all of these roles is to listen and observe when you enter into a space, because often what you thought you were supposed to do was not what you were supposed to do. And you better listen to the people that are there who know better um, about what are your places. And so that's something that all of us have to learn about our positionality and our privilege when we're trying to be supports to people. Um, we got to stop being so bossy. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Yeah, that's I've learned that a lot. I've heard that a lot. And I'm learning that more and more and more that just because you want to help does not mean your version of help is the best solution for that particular community or problem. And so listening is of course, step one, but you know, understanding that the way things have been done is not necessarily the way that things should be done moving forward. Have you, have you noticed in throughout your sort of career of being a rebel and being a, all of those things, advocate organizer, are you happy with the progress that you've seen? Obviously, there still needs to be so much more done, but but are you optimistic when you look back and see sort of the things, the, the needle that you've moved per, or seen move personally? Or, or, or can you just reflect a little bit on, on when you look back and say, okay, things used to be this way, but now we have, you know, the seven sacred teachings in kindergarten classes. And, and back in our day, I don't know how old you are exactly, but we didn't even talk about residential schools. We didn't even know that that existed until I got to university. So that just as, as one small example, but how do you feel about the progress that society has made since you've started kind of paying attention to culture? Well, I think I'm extremely happy with the progress that I've seen over the years with, in terms of the acceptability of indigenous uh, First Nations, Métis, and Inuit culture and teachings within institutions. That's been fantastic. Um, one of the things that unfortunately has also happened, though, has been the tokenization mm. of leaders. And <clears throat> pardon me, this is something that I think is important for me to say, because that's something that sometimes people say to me, Michael, you're just a token. Why are you working with this system? Why are you why are you working with this group? You're giving them like legitimacy from the indigenous, you know, they're they're uh, what is it called? Red washing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so it's uh, uh, unequal benefit. Right. The organization benefits disproportionately. And I just bang my head against the wall. Um, and so like so those are not 
ideal situations. And I think that though there are a lot of that happening, and that's why it's become so important for me to be aware of when do I need to be um, an organizer, building an alternative outside of the system, and when do I have to be that advocate helping people navigate within that system. And so it's important for me to have the flexibility to shift shape shift, if you will, mm -hmm. um, in between all of those roles on a daily basis, on a situation to situation basis, um, because situations call for nuance. And the things that I'm working towards are literally to try to have systems prevent death and family separation. Mm -hmm. I, I have this crazy theory that systems don't have to kill you and systems don't have to separate families. Don't have to it's, take your baby. Bold. No kidding. Bold. But I think it might be a thing. 2020 might be the year where we, you know, finally realize that taking someone's babies from them is not a good idea and not healthy in the long term. Yep. July 1st, actually, uh, July 1st here in Manitoba, uh, the practice of birth alerts has officially been ended by the Manitoba government. That was one of the recommendations of the Manitoba Child Welfare Legislative Review Committee that I was a part of. And it is encouraging to see one of our many recommendations being implemented. Um, obviously the progress is enragingly slow for family. Um, and I think any onlookers probably feel the same way. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's not easy when progress marches slowly on, but when when Ecorn Miller spoke at one of our events a couple months ago and one of the youth that was in attendance asked like you know I think youth often don't have the patience of you know elders for sure and he asked you know how how can you stay so vigilant and and such a you know when you when the same thing that was happening 30 years ago at, at protests is still happening today so how do you stay vigilant when there's some issues that have been happening for generations that are still popping up. Like, how do you, how do you, how do you still fight the good fight? I can fight the good fight. And I think all of us can continue to fight the good fight because it's a marathon, not a sprint. Mm. Um, we all need to learn how to fight the good fight um, in the long term, And that's why, Increasingly, in the last number of years, my work has shifted towards mental health supports and self-care. Mm -hmm. I'm like becoming the self-care guy where people are like, yo, Michael, tell us how to, you know, implement self-care on a system-wide level. I'm like, heck yeah, like let's, let's figure out how we take care of your employees. Let's figure out how we take care of the mental health of your families that you work with. Let's, you know, like I'm all about making sure that kids have additional resources to express their emotions and learn about their feelings. That's why I volunteer with Kids Help Phone on their Indigenous Advisory Council. Um, we're working on developing an Indigenous Counselor in the Classroom initiative that will hopefully be launching later this year. And um, as most of my projects go, it's only like partially funded. And now, I, now that we've made some of it, I have to go run around and say, is there anybody in Canada that actually wants to fund Indigenous counselors in the classroom so that, you know, Native students can have people that look like them come in and deliver uh, therapeutic uh, mental health services. 
Um, I feel like that's super important. And I feel like a lot of others would as well. Um, but that's also how come uh, previous to being on the Indigenous Advisory Council, I was on the Kids Help Phone Texting Advisory mm -hmm. Council, mm -hmm. where we were able to get the, uh, the beautiful number 686868 up and running. Uh, here in Manitoba first, we were the pilot project. <clears throat> Don't know how that happened. Um, but uh, yeah, it's really great that now that service is available all across Canada, um, for kids to be able to text uh, somebody 24 hours a day, seven days a week and have a, a mental health responder text them back and say, yo, what's up? How can I help you? And I feel like, bam, those are the kind of systemic interventions that I'm interested in meeting people where they're at, um, helping them with the thing that they need now so that they can be the helper, rebel, advocate, troublemaker, whoever they are, um, that they are meant to be. I love it. I've noticed, I mean, I've been, I've been hearing you speak for maybe 10 years now, and I've noticed a shift from, um, I don't know how to maybe describe it, but from sort of telling it how it is to storytelling, you, you've really focused more on telling a story to get that emotional response, to get people to sort of hop on your side as a, has that been a conscious decision to, to invoke story and make sure that people are like, Hey, you know, listen to this story as opposed to here's what you should do differently. Well, I think in the beginning, when I was, when I was young, back in my day, back in my day, <laughs> I think it, I just felt such an urgency mm. in the work that I was doing that I'm like, I don't got time for your feelings. <laughs> here's the facts. Yeah. 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 And, and, and literally I was just so impatient with what was happening in my world because people were literally dying that I didn't have the time for niceties. But as I grew and as I learned about education um, and as I learned about like how systems work and don't work, I also learned a lot about how human beings work and don't work. And I realized that people are going to remember uh, a story that moves them in the heart a lot more than they're going to remember Michael being cranky at them. And so I've never seen you be cranky. So let's just say that first. You've always been just a, a bastion of hope and, and positivity. So I don't know that cranky is an accurate term. I mean, maybe you've been cranky, but not, not in the rooms I've been in for sure. Well, I just think that it's become really important for me to explain the holistic components of the things that I'm trying to say. And it's hard for me to explain the history, the context, the emotionality of things when I'm just saying, here's your system here's what you change mm -hmm. you know and and that's why i think it, it is important for me to you know position either myself or like a character that i'm talking about or one of the community members who i know and love mm -hmm. and and i talk about them and i think people can the, the thing about storytelling and i think especially for me i can't help it um i can't help but have the emotion of what I'm talking about come out through my voice. And when I'm talking about being inspired by the strength of families in the inner city who have to literally face every single system that is trying to kill them and separate their families, and yet they live, um, and yet their family is together, and yet they're still fighting, and yet, you know, like that's that's beautiful. And, and I owe it to these families that are here in the north end of Winnipeg and in the inner city and in the indigenous communities that I am grateful to be connected to, I owe it to them to 
recognize their awesomeness. I owe it to them to recognize how fantastic and great and strong they are. Um, but one thing I'm not going to do is romanticize their resilience, as sometimes people do and say, oh, they're so resilient. Don't worry about them. Life is good. I don't like talking about resilience um, only because when we talk <laughs> about resilience, when we talk about resilience only, what happens is we are ignoring the systemic factors that constantly put people in that situation. So um, I do get a little bit emotional, we'll say, uh, well when said. we talk about resilience, but, I, but I'm just so proud of the families that are, are, are still fighting mm -hmm. in, in, in the face of generations of systems that don't seem to care about them, and yet their hearts are still beating. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. Well, I could talk to you forever about a whole, you know, wide array of topics, but I know you're a man who's very busy and short on time. So we're going to skip to the, the just because segment. That's a segment where I ask the same seven questions of all my guests and we'll see where it takes us. You okay to do that? Love it. Okay. Question one is what's the very first cause you even remember caring about? The very first cause I remember even caring about would have to be bullying. Because mm. I was bullied. Mm -hmm. That's why. So bullying was my number one. It's brutal. I wasn't born in the city, or like I didn't go to school in the city, but I think it's a different dynamic because I went to school with the same people from kindergarten to grade 12. And I feel like bullying is just so much more common when you're going to a new school, you're the new kid every time, you know, and it's constantly changing. Is it slightly different when you're when you're growing up in the city? Nope. New kids are the target. That's the rule. Brutal. So because I moved around so much, I was the new kid all the time. So I had to experience bullying all the time. So that's, I think, why it mm. became the number one thing for me. Has that been something that you focused on in your adult life too? Yep. Yeah. It stuck with me. For Can't sure. help it. Well, that stuff is just ingrained in you forever. So, I mean, yeah. How can you not? Question two, if money, this will be an interesting answer, I think. If money, politics, and logistics were no issue at all for you, you could just snap your fingers and something would happen. What's the first thing you would do in support of your current cause? I would fund Manitoba 211 and a 24-7 network of health and harm reduction, community-based, culturally safe workers that were 24 hours, seven days a week available to respond to mental health and addiction-related crises. I saw you tweet something. Is is this in the works, Manitoba two on one? I saw you tweet the the hashtag. Is yeah, that, can I'm working on, on it. Yeah, it's an initiative. It, right now, it's a website, and I want it to be a phone number. Um, but we can't have a phone number without a fully funded network of twenty four seven people across the city and or mm. province. So okay. that's the next target. So if uh, money, pol politics, and logistics were no issue, Manitoba two one one would connect us to health harm reduction community-based helpers to assist in mental health and addiction-related circumstances. Yeah. And that would alleviate the load off of our overburdened police force. Very well said. I think that's, I mean, the mo the best you could possibly say that when people say defund the police, they mean actually fund people who can help in mental health crises and in addictions crises. And it's not just 911, okay, someone's going to show up with a gun. It's how about we send a neighbor over there to help that knows the person who's who's in crisis? Yes, very so true. Question three: What's the biggest misunderstanding or stigma about your cause? Uh, the biggest stigma is that I'm anti-police. Um, I mean, like I think when people think that you're anti-police, it's like 
I want to like remove all the police right now. And I mean, a little bit, <laughs> but like, but, but it's like, when I say, when I'm talking about abolishing or defunding the police, what I'm, I know abolishment is a lot stronger of a statement. Let's talk about defunding just to be easy. Um, when I'm talking about defunding the police, what I'm talking about is beefing up uh, financial supports for preventative services so we don't have a crisis. I want to get to the, the situation before it becomes a crisis that police need to respond to. Couldn't have said it better myself. Question four, what's a time in your life where you had to pivot? Because plan A wasn't working out, so you had to go to plan B. <laughs> Every day. Um, plan, uh, pivot. Uh, example, I messaged some of the people that I know within the city of Winnipeg who were part of community services so that we could get access to Turtle Island Neighborhood Center, which is in the Lower Selkirk Park Developments. And they said, yeah, we're working on it maybe sometime in August. And I'm like, okay, that's not good enough. I'm also emailing the city councilor. Then I emailed the city councilor, Ross Eady, and he was like, okay, I'm going to look into it. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. Look into it. But that's also not enough. So that was plan B. Now plan C is also going to social media and uh, Twitter tagging uh, Brian Bowman, Winnipeg Libraries, uh, other city of Winnipeg, um, explaining that families that we work with, with Fearless R2W, um, because of coronavirus especially, are in a special, like our are in need of community services through a neighborhood center like Turtle Island or a library like St. John's Library. And to be putting all of the resources as it, this is what it looks like from the inner city. It looks like Winnipeg is putting all of the community supports in the donut, not in the inner city. Mm. Waiting pools, um, you know, like pools, libraries and community centers are opening in all the donut areas, like all around the inner city. And then here we are in the North End being like, hey, hey, what about us? So anyway, that's plan A, didn't work. Plan B, maybe didn't work. Plan C, also didn't work. Plan D is calling my friends at the media. Uh, plan E is writing something on my own website. Plan F is getting community members together to do a freaking protest. Uh, plan G, anyway. You'll never quit. I love it. I, I do plan A to Z. I love it. A to Z. What am I? Either way. We knew what you meant. <sighs> Question five. What's the best advice you've ever been given? The best advice I have ever been given, I'm going to say was Strini Reddy. Uh, Strini Reddy is a beautiful educator here in Winnipeg uh, in Manitoba. He's done amazing work um, in uh, like rotary, human rights, uh, so many different uh, CSI uh, language revitalization, so fantastic. The advice he gave me when I wanted to give up on all my community organizing, um, he said, why are you so discouraged? I said, because all these people that I thought would work with me don't want to. And he said, well, does anybody want to work with you? And I'm like, yeah, these people. He said, why don't you work with them? Beautiful, simple. Beautiful. <laughs> you have people in your corners, you know, yeah. yeah, and I was that's, like, oh, damn, that, that changed things. Okay, next question. What advice would you give your 10-year-old self if you could speak to him? Write it mm. down. Write it's, it down. It's so good for mental health, too. It's not just good for plan. It's, it, it's good to just, like, for, for presence and being in the moment, for sure. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Are you, and you're writing every day, I'm guessing? Every day. Beautiful. Lovely. Last question. Thank you for doing this. I know you have to leave in one minute. What do you want to be remembered for? 
I want to be remembered for leaving my neighborhood a little bit brighter than when I got here. I love that. And it doesn't just have to be neighborhood. It's every room you walk into, leave it a little bit. That's how I look at it. Every room you walk into, every conversation you have, leave that person a little bit better off than when you found them. I could, I love that advice. Michael, thank you for being with us. Uh, where can people find out more information? Michael Redhead, michaelredheadchampagne.com. Is there anywhere else you'd like people to go to help out with the cause? Yeah, they can also follow me on um, social media. Uh, North End MC. And so Beautiful. follow me on Instagram, Twitter, whatever it may be. And let's do it. Thank you, Michael, for being here. Michael Redhand Champagne, amazing as always. Thanks for doing this. Uh, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Take care. Thank you again to Michael Redhead Champagne for being with us today. It was wonderful hearing about and learning about the helper, organizer, advocate, and rebel. Uh, Michael has such wisdom and I could probably legit talk for hours about things because uh, he has a depth of wisdom that I don't think we see very often in the world and, and a really great perspective. So thank you again, Michael, for, for the podcast. And thank you for listening. I know I say it every week, but I really do mean it. Uh, I hope you're getting something from these conversations. I hope there's some semblance of inspiration and you'll try and improve your communities and your neighborhoods and 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 your immediate family and friends and and people in your circles and just try to make the world a better place because that's what it's all about all music on the pod is produced and composed by trenton burton you can hear more of his music at trentonburton.com because in effect is a podcast of the winnipeg foundation you can learn more about what the foundation is up to at wpgfdn.org or searching at wpgfdn on all the socials i'm nolan bicknell on all the socials and in real life and thank you so much for listening and remember the seven sacred teachings love respect courage honesty wisdom humility and truth bye-bye